0: Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. Well, I want to just commend you. uh, On Super Bowl Sunday, here you are. You're the few and the brave who said, I'm going to go store-bought with the dip this year. I don't need to stay home and make a slow arduous problem. I'm going store-bought with my dip. How many people care about, uh, uh, about the Super Bowl at all? Put up your hand if you care, even a little bit, a little bit, okay? Yeah, yeah, there's not many of us. Okay, how many, by show of hands, how many people? Now, I'll give a, I'll give some context so that everyone can engage in this, even those who weren't excited about the, the game. Um, how many people think the Rams will win? Now, to give context, they're the this way. Just give give context. Just to give context, they're the the Los Angeles Rams, and they wear yellow, blue, and white. Okay, if that helps you, if knowing the costume helps you. I, I said costume because if you don't know the team, you call it a costume. Okay, how many people think Rams are going to win? Okay. Now, now there's another team called the Bengals, okay? Now, I know what you thought. You thought I said Bengals, and you're like, that sounds cute. Not talking about Bengals, ba- like the Tiger. And uh, their, their costumes generally are more like white, black, with a lot of orange highlights, okay? They're from the city of Cincinnati. And uh, how many people think the Bengals might take it this year? Woo! Okay, we're skewing Bengals. We're skewing Bengals. I, uh, I think Joe's a winner, Joe Burrow, the quarterback. So unless, unless uh, the Rams can get hands on him early, I think it's going to be a long day in L.A. All right. Well, I love sport. I'm glad that you're here today on uh, Super Bowl Sunday. Thank God that we're building a church of people who don't all love sports so they show up on big days like this. Amen. Awesome. Hey, last week we, we started a brand new series entitled Called. I almost said called, called, but it just gets a little confusing, and it's not a joke that you can keep hitting every week or else people are going to groan. Uh, A message series entitled called. Do you know you're called? Three of us are completely convinced of that. I'm going to do my best to convince the rest of the room. You're called. Wow, I didn't even have to do much to convince uh, at least half more of the room. You're called. God has called you. He's got a unique call on your life, and it's, it's linked to... The corporate call on your life. Not the other way around. Sometimes people are like, man, I just want to be special. You are already special. You are God's special possession. And your unique call is linked to the corporate call that he has made to all mankind. God is, is calling out the name of humanity. He is crying out in the wilderness for those who are lost, who are least and last and lonely and hurting and broken. And Jesus is making a way for people to find hope and life in him pretty exciting. And uh, if anybody answers that call, the Bible says, and if anyone asks the Lord for help, they're saved. And then you become a part of the family of God. You know, the Bible says that, that God is in the business of putting lonely people in families. And that's talking about those who can feel and sense they're lonely. If you're here today and you feel and sense that you're lonely, you go, man, I need more community in my life. We would love to help you with that. But it also is speaking to those who don't even feel or acknowledge or sense that they're lonely. To be apart from God is to be alone in your soul. It's to be isolated in your soul, saying, I have to look out for number one because no one else will. It's every person for themselves. But when you're in Christ, you become a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, and you become a part of the family of God. And one of the most defining words that makes up that family is we are the church. Can someone say church? Church. Oh, come on. Can someone say church? church? We're the church. We're the church. And as Peter describes the church in 1 Peter chapter 2, he, he describes it this way, that we are a chosen generation. Come on. God picked you. He chose you. He knew exactly what he was getting into with you. He knew exactly what he was getting into with me, and he chose us. We're a chosen generation. The Bible says we're a royal priesthood. We're set apart. We're anointed. We're gifted for for a task. What is the the task of a priesthood? To stand in between God and humanity, to make a bridge, if you will. We're called to be bridge builders. We're anointed for it. we got the power to do this. We are not only a, a chosen generation, not only a royal priesthood, we're also a holy nation. Come on, guys, we're a holy nation. What defines us as a people group is holiness. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? If you knew the things that the person beside you struggles with or if they knew the things that you struggle with, we might start to get crazy. But the Bible says we're a holy nation, and our holiness is not defined by our effort but by our surrender. We're a holy nation. God is making us more like him as we look to him. And we're, we're his prized possession. Some translations say treasure. Some translations say we're a peculiar people. I kind of like that one. I, like, I feel that one. It hits me. It just hits a little different. We're peculiar people. Now, not that our goal should be to be as peculiar as possible. We've all been around people like that. I've certainly been people like that. We're God's precious possession, and he's called us out of darkness into light that we might declare his praise. We're on mission. We're called. Do you know, to be the church is to be the called out ones. That's what the Greek word church, it's the word ecclesia, which means the ones who have been called out. You're here today. You're at least church adjacent. Maybe you're thinking like, I'm wondering what's about. You're listening to the call of God in your life. We're the church. We've been called out. And if we've been called out, God's calling us up to something. Do you believe that? I want to pray for us today, and we're going to dive into message number two. Jesus, thank you for these people. Thank you that we are called out. I pray today you would speak to us. We invite you, God, to speak boldly, and uh, we want to have hearts that are, are sensitive to hear what you're saying. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you were here last week, my wife Jennifer preached a message on identity. How many people were here last week? If you missed that, okay, hey, we heard, I heard two woos and a half a clap. We just want it's tight, to, it's tight quarters here. If someone's going to clap, we don't want to be the crazy clapper man, okay? How many people were here last week? Come on, put your hands together. All right. If you miss that, you can go onto our podcast at any time. We also have Sunday available online every weekend uh, for people who are uh, at a distance or who are isolating right now or doing church in a smaller setting at home, so you can go online and catch that. But she talked about identity, the identity piece that comes in being called out. It's the foundation for who we are. It's where our confidence is derived. Too many people are trying to get their confidence pumped up by flattery, and flattery just falls flat. We need the confidence that is founded in something more enduring well today i want to I want to speak a message and if you 're taking notes, you can just write this down i 'm calling you out i 'm calling you out i 'm calling someone 's already getting offended i 'm calling you out i 'm calling you out if i could i 'd like to take a moment and and call out call out culture it has become the norm it has become the the typical that anything we, we don't prefer, we need to make sure everybody knows our opinion. Wow. It's like having a right to opinion, that's great. Having the need to share it are two very different things. I just want to take a moment and call out the culture of call out. If you have your Bible still in First Peter, check this out. First Peter chapter two, there's a reason for this. I'm not just doing this because it, it frustrates me or it's hurt me in any way. I want you to hear what the Bible says about the people who have been called out. Look at First Peter chapter two and verse 10. It says this, "Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy." Peter is saying this, we need to rethink some things. We didn't used to be unified, and so it didn't used to matter. We didn't used to have an experience of mercy, and so extension of mercy was, was wasteful. It was pointless. But now we are a people, and now we have received mercy, and that changes everything. 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 Living for Jesus doesn't just affect our Sunday morning. Living for Jesus is not just uh, you know, some sort of a, a external expectation that it probably should change your set list, or your playlist, I should say. Living for Jesus is not just a bumper sticker you throw on your car, but you live in Vancouver so you don't own a car, so you have to put a patch on your backpack. <laughs> Living for Jesus is not just external, it's not just token. Living for Jesus affects every part of our life. If he's really truly called us out of darkness, he is calling us into a better way of living. And that way of living means we have to handle relationship different, and we have to handle mercy different. If we were not a people, then this message does not apply. If being part of the church did not involve the mercy of God, then this message doesn't apply. But it does. Once we weren't a people, now we are. Once we we hadn't received mercy, now we have. So how are we going to handle this pervasive, day-by-day, maybe even moment-by-moment process of being offended? How many people have been offended at some point in the last week? Put up your hand real, real high if you, and be honest with me. If you would, how many people have been offended in the last week? Come on, wave at me. Wave your hand in the air. So I was like, he made me risk my hand in church. I was so offended. Maybe this is your moment. I don't know. Okay, how many people in the room, if you think it through, have been in the last seven days offensive. How many people, you know you've been offensive. Come on, wave your hand at me. If you've Man, the, the offensive people were way happier to lift their hands than the offended people. The offended people are like, I hate to admit it, but I've been offended. The offensive people, they're like, that's me. That's where I'm at. And they're looking around the room saying, we should all be friends. We gotta get together. Let's start a hub together, the offensive hub. See, See, this... Interaction that we play, the way our lives intersect with one another, it causes constant ongoing opportunity to be offended and constant ongoing opportunity to be offensive. I've been asking people lately, what do you feel like you're more of? More offensive or more offended? I've been surprised by some of the answers. Some people that I have pegged, well, there's an offended person, they go, oh, I feel like I'm really offensive. Interesting. Some people that I I might have pegged, oh, there's an offensive person. Hmm, They rub me the wrong way. They go, oh, I'm just constantly offended. Interesting. It's interesting how the two are closely connected, isn't it? So often, our offensiveness is linked to the way we felt offended. I've often said this, that it's when we are offended that we become defensive. When we're offended, when someone steps towards us, we're like, well, now I'm defensive, and now anything can go. And so often, our offendedness actually is just derived because we're educating people on how they should treat us. And we're walking around being offensive to others and then feeling hurt when they offend us back. Now, these are broad generalizations. We'll we'll try to get into a little more specifics in a moment. But I will tell you this. I had an experience this week. You see, we we, we prepare for our online uh, service, our church at home service, earlier in the week. So I, I was here. A little bit later in, the, in an evening, preparing, filming, a team was here serving amazing as we get ready for the online service. I preached this message that I'm about to preach right now or a similar one to it, talking about offense and how we handle it and how we, we deal with the call out. And, and I was on my way home and I would said to Jennifer, I'm going to bring home dinner tonight. I'm going to stop at Chipotle because it's the, the dinner of champions, and so I'm going to stop there. Now, typically, you might not know this about me, but typically, I, I commute with a, a moped. I commute on a little 50cc scooter, and it's great. I get home faster than I could ever get in my vehicle. My two options in, in, my, in my arsenal, if you will, are a 50cc scooter or a 12-passenger van, okay? Okay. <laughs> And, uh, and I have a very defined reason why I have the 12 passenger van. And, uh, and then I've got a very financially defined reason why I have a moped. It works great. And, uh, this particular day, because we were doing some work around this space, I had the 12 passenger van. And, and as I walked out, I was like, ah, shouldn't have brought that today. Because if you are leaving at any time, except for like early on a Sunday morning or really late at night, it's like two or three times longer to take the 15-minute drive across town in a 15 or 12-passenger van. And uh, so I, I was making my way to Chipotle, and uh, I, I struggled to find parking, to say the least. Now Broadway's got all the renovation happening, all the construction happening, and so there's no spots there, and there's kind of little lots around. And, and so I, I pulled in behind the Chipotle I was stopping at, and I saw this beautiful empty parking lot. Only two other cars in it. Beautiful. It had a sign. I didn't particularly see what the sign said yet. <laughs> but it did have a sign, but it was empty. And, uh, and so I was pulling in, and, and, and I was kind of clocking, like making note, and thinking I, I probably ought to go quickly just check that sign real quick uh, before I run and grab my, my Chipotle bowl. you learn a lot about person based on what they get. I get a steak bowl, brown rice, black beans, hot sauce, and everything else. Everything else. And then they go, you want to pay extra for guac? I said, I'll pay anything for guac. Whatever it takes, just put guac on it. And uh, I, I was getting ready, and so I, I kind of, you know, I'm, I'm working. And as I was making my way there, there was a lady standing in front of me, arms crossed, and, and I couldn't hear it through the mask, but I could tell she was going. <laughs> and I got out, and I grabbed my stuff, and I'm, I'm thinking, I should go check that sign really quickly. And she goes, excuse me. How long do you intend to park there? Because this is a private reserved parking spot. And I said, oh, like I'm thinking in my head, which of the questions do you want me to answer? How long I intend to be here or, or answer the rhetorical question that this is a private reserved spot? And I was like, oh, is it? She's like, yeah, there's a sign right there. I said, oh, you know, I haven't checked the sign yet. I didn't know that this was a private reserved parking spot. And she said, well, then I'm going to ask you again. Oh, no. How long? Do you intend, and she she hit the words like this, to park in this spot? Because I'll remind you, this is a private reserve parking lot. And and I was like, I was already getting back in my vehicle. (laughs) And I'm like, well, clearly I don't intend to stay here because it's a private reserve lot. Now I know. And as I closed my door, I could hear her going into it for the third time. (laughs) So I got in the car, and I I was driving, and I had a decision to make. Is this going to offend me? Like, I was a little hangry because I hadn't had my my Chipotle bowl. I'm like, is this going to offend me? Am I going to be the guy who now, as she's pulling up behind me, just throws it in park for fun? (laughs) You guys are waiting as if I'm going to reveal... I'm like, is this going to offend me? Am I going to be that guy? And instead, I, I just chuckled to myself and thought, I'll go find a different spot. It's all good. It so, a block away. Found another spot. Went, got my bowl. Had a great night. The guac was good. But it, it reminded me how, how pervasive it is. I thought this poor lady has probably been offended in some way, shape, or form. That, that she felt the need to defend the parking spot that she was leaving just moments later, I thought, wh- why, do we, why do we call out? Why is that the go to? Whether it's in person, at least she had the boldness to do it in person. Because some people are just raging against the machine online, raging against the person they met that I can't believe. What, what's, the, what's the goal? What's the hope? When we think, you know what, it's come to that point, I gotta call you out. What do what we think? I think here's what we think. We think this perfect world exists where we say, hey, just so you know, what you did was out of line, it hurt me. And then the person would go, oh, really? My bad. It'll never happen again. And then we say, awesome, great, let's be friends. <laughs> but how often does that play out that way? Yeah. Yeah. If we were in a vacuum where no one was ever offended by anything, then we could call out. I think what, what we have to conclude is that if we're calling out while offended, we're doing it wrong. Yeah. If we're calling out, While we are presently offended, we're doing it wrong. We're certainly not doing it the way that the Bible would instruct. Once we weren't a people so we could do stuff like that, but now we are. Once we hadn't received mercy, so why should we extend it? But now we we have. So I want to do my best if I could to give some practical thoughts on how we can call out better. Is that cool? The first thought, the best thing you can do when possible, if at all possible, as far as it depends on you, I want to encourage you to learn to just overlook it. When we're offended, we get tunnel vision, don't we? It's like you, you can feel like nothing else in the world matters right now. <laughs> and the gain is turned up on that thought only. And everything else kind of gets muted, and, and we go, must make it right. I, I feel really bad that there's people who are sitting at home alone online who are just doing that back and forth just lobbing offensive bombs back and forth. i got to call you out. Well, i got to call you out on the way you've called me out. And whew, When possible, just, just overlook it. When possible, go, hey, she probably just had a bad day. When possible, go, well, I guess I hadn't looked at the sign. It's true. When possible, you say, well, well why would we do that? Well, the Bible says to. Check out what it says in Proverbs, okay? Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 11. Proverbs 19 and verse 11. It says this. A person's wisdom yields patience, and it's to one's glory to overlook an offense. It's actually credited to you as a praiseworthy thing when you can just overlook an offense. Now, it doesn't mean that we we pretend sin doesn't happen. It doesn't mean we wink at sin and go, we'll keep this one between us. It means we overlook the thing that just rubbed us the wrong way. The the passive-aggressive that we've got a decision, do I go back with passive-aggressive? The cold shoulder, we're like, I could out-cold shoulder you. The jab that we try to jab back at, it's to our glory when possible to just overlook it. Do you know how many problems in our world would be solved if we simply assumed, oh, when they texted this, they were smiling. <laughs> you know how many communication breakdowns? If we say, oh, they just hit send too early. Yeah. Yeah. Of course they planned to end that with, I hope you're having a great day. You're one of the greatest people in my life. And you mean the world to me. Love sincerely forever, always. Your friend, the person who's in the cubicle beside you. You know, you know how, how much, much problem we could weed through if we just assume, oh, they accidentally unfollowed me. They just butt-mashed that button. Do <laughs> you, you know how, how much like offense we could overlook if we're like, oh, the algorithm just didn't show them my post. <laughs> so they didn't know. Yeah. You didn't know I was in Mexico? Huh. <laughs> They're just not on their phone right now. Like, like when possible, just overlooking a fence. When possible, go, oh, sorry, I didn't see the sign. No problem. I'll go find another parking spot. When po- it's to your glory when you can do it. Now, it's not always possible, but there's some reasons that we ought to lean into it when possible. Check this out. Number one is, is that God sees. I can actually learn to overlook when I can trust that God sees it. When I know that God sees it, I'm like, hey, I don't have to draw all my attention. I certainly don't have to get tunnel visioned on this thing because God sees it. God's watching, and God knows. Not only is God watching the way I respond to it, but he's also just like overseeing the whole thing. He's got this. Check out what it says. We're going to go back to First Peter, and we'll probably park here for, for much of the rest of our time together. First Peter chapter two, as it goes on and continues. Check what it says down in verse 19, 19. It says this: "For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. Woo! I'm not going to get tunnel vision because I'm God conscious. I'm aware that God is watching. Why would I get tunnel vision over a thing that offends me and lose focus on the one who loves me? Lose focus on the one whose affection I have. I want to be God conscious. And the Bible says it's commendable when you can do it. You can't always, but when possible, just overlook it. Overlook it. Someone's having a bad day. Have you noticed that, that, that our, our patience is just a little tried? In the last, you know, 21 months and 16 days, but who's counting? I know it's longer than that. Have you noticed that our attention span is, is quickly depleting? They just didn't know. There's another reason, though. Not only does God see it, but God uses it. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. God can use even those moments where you feel offended, where you feel like you're justified in your offense, or like me, you feel like there's a backstory that explains it. Imagine if I'm like, okay, before I go, can I just explain? I usually drive a moped. This is rare for me. If it was a moped, I could find a better spot, but I can't. And I had to stay at work a little late, and I just want some Chipotle. But we feel like all that backstory, everyone should know about us, right? When they snapped at me, they should know all the stuff I was going through. But they didn't. It's impossible to overlook it. God sees, but God also uses it. Look what it says here as you continue along. Verse 21. Verse 21, it says this. To this you were called because Christ Jesus suffered for you, leaving you an example of how you too can follow in his steps. So when you feel like it still kind of stings, you can make this choice. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. When they hurled insults at him, he's like, I'm good. I know who I am before the Father. I know. And they're like, oh, you're the king. He's like, sure. I'm okay. I don't need to lower to your level. I don't need to win a petty little battle. Have you ever thought of like the stuff Jesus could have said? He is the word. Think about this imagine how he could have slammed them. Imagine how he could have shot back at that centurion when he's like, oh, who's the king now? He could have said, hey, remember Emily in the third grade? She thought you were ugly. She lied when she said you have nice, a nice nose. Your nose is terrible. Like he could have just found the spot and pushed every button, but he just didn't do it. He didn't do it. And the Bible says it's commendable when we don't either. Not only does God see, but God can use these moments. He uses these moments. Every dagger that comes against you is a chisel in the hand of the Holy Spirit that is forming you into the likeness of Jesus. Let it do its work. Let it do its work. Well, I don't deserve it. Neither did Jesus. What did I do? To- hey, we live a different way. Once we hadn't received mercy, so of course you should, you should shoot back. Of course you should fire back. But now we have received mercy, so it just isn't fitting. Thirdly, not only does God see, not only does God use, but thirdly, God actually judges. Oh, come on, somebody. God will judge what is offensive. God is weighing it. God is measuring it. Thank God he's patient or we would all fail in this regard. But God actually is keeping count. He's keeping score. He's keeping track. Look what it says, Second Peter uh, chapter 2. Down to verse 23, it says this, When they hurled their insults at Jesus, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. When you decide, you know I'm not going to return passive-aggressive for passive-aggressive. I'm just not going to do it. God sees this. God, used this in me because I just went straight from, you know, from zero to 100 really fast inside. Use it. It's clearly there's some things you need to work out. And then, God, I'm just going to trust you. You judge fairly. And if that person has some issues of character they need to work on, I'm going to trust you got this. God sees it. God can use it in my life, but he's going to judge it. He'll take care of all those things. There is a a freedom that comes in, in entrusting that to God, just leaving that to God. There's a freedom that comes. You know, our, our kids, as they make their way home from school, the oldest uh, is, is in charge. So Gwyneth's in grade seven, and the, she's got a few younger brothers. That It's her job to oversee what they do. And they don't always think she judges fairly because sometimes she says it's time to go, and they don't want to have it be time to go. And in moments like that, they can begin to justify, go, well, wait a minute. I got it early today, so it's not time to go. My friends are playing, so I don't think it's time to go. I didn't hear you as clearly as I could have, so I didn't think I had to, to go. Or they do this. You're not, Mom. Don't we do that in our lives sometimes? Well, you're not God. Only God can judge me. Well, no, other people are judging you all the time, by the way. But God is just in the way he judges, and when you trust him with that, he'll take care of it. So I know I'm, I'm talking in... in a utopian way of looking. The, the, the beautiful way to call out would be like, hey, I just want to let you know what you did hurt me, and oh, I'm so sorry, I love you so much, I'd never want to hurt you. I know you wouldn't, that's why I told you, let's hug. That's perfect. When that doesn't happen, because it never happens, then, then do your best to overlook it. When you can, just overlook it. Your boss is stressed out. They don't hate you, they're just stressed out. And if they hate you, God will judge it. When you can, not just overlook it. Now, I know it's not always possible, so let's go a little bit deeper into some practicalities. There are a lot of places in life we take refuge. Some of us run to bitterness. Some of us run to revenge. Some of us run to fantasy. Some of us run to a distraction, some pleasure, some self-justification, but mercy is the best place for us to run. Run back into the mercy of God. And at the very least, God, thank you for what you saved me from. Because I used to be a person who felt that passionate about everything that bothered me too. Thank God that you're saving me. You're making me new. Run to mercy. Find yourself in mercy. And I want to encourage you to embrace forgiveness. Now, when you overlook an offense, you didn't even need to forgive it because it didn't really offend you. I want to do my best in life to become increasingly unoffendable and, and allow the, the group of people who are able to offend me to get smaller and smaller and smaller. Only the people I trust, only the people I, that I've got mutual love and affection for, they're the only ones that really ought to be able to, to really sting. A, a random stranger, I don't know their context. Have a great day, bro. I want to be unoffendable. But when I can't, I need to learn to forgive. Before I can call out, I need to walk in forgiveness. You know, Lewis Swede said this, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. When you forgive, you walk into freedom and you find out I was stuck in the prison of offense and the perpetrator of that offense didn't even know that I was there. They didn't even necessarily know they had a part to play. And even if they did, me staying here is not punishing them in any way. Some refer to it this way. When you walk in bitterness, you drink a poison expecting it to hurt the one who hurt you. And it just never does. Like, awesome, poison yourself. We need to walk in forgiveness. Why is it so important that we walk in the mercy of God and walk in forgiveness? Well, number one, because we have been forgiven. We have received mercy. Why should we extend mercy? Why should we extend forgiveness? Because we are the recipients of forgiveness. Jesus put this in a beautiful, poignant little story. In the book of Matthew, chapter 18, and verse 21. Matthew 18 and verse 21. Matthew 18, In 21. I don't hear many pages turning because not many people bring their analog version of their Bible. You're just flipping over in an app. Stay focused. Don't check the score. The game's not on yet anyway. Okay. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21, Jesus is telling a story. And in this story, it says this, Peter came to Jesus and he said, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister uh, who has sinned against me? Should I forgive them seven times? Jesus answered this, no, 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 I tell you the truth. Not seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times seven, or insider language, just keep on forgiving them. Like infinite times, all of the times. How many times should I forgive? All of them. He goes on to tell a story to explain. He said, therefore, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, because we are the church, we're the called out ones, this is our culture, okay? This is what it's like. In the culture of heaven, this is what it's like in the family of God. In the kingdom of heaven, there was a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, that's a lot of gold, was brought to him. Since he was not yet able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. He said, be patient with me. And he begged, I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him. He canceled the debt, and he let him go. Do you know, isn't it amazing? He didn't take pity on him and say, okay, fine, I'll give you extra time. He just forgave. Just canceled the debt. No more debt. Not only did he take pity and say, fine, I'll see you back here next week. You better make it right later. He just forgave the debt. That's a picture of what Jesus has done for us. He's taken pity on us and not said, okay, now I'm going to give you a second chance to fix your sin problem. He just forgave us. It says, now that same servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins, not as much as 10,000 bags of gold. Would you notice that? Like like he, he owed multiple Bitcoin, and now he's coming after his friend for one doge. It's crazy. So it says he grabbed him, he began to choke him, and he said, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and he begged, please be patient with me, I'll pay it back, but he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown in prison until he could pay back every cent. When the other servants saw what had happened, they they were outraged. They went and they told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant and said, you wicked servant. I canceled all of the debts that you had because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servants just as I have had on you? See, this is a picture of what it is to be forgiven. Because we've been recipients of mercy, how can we not extend it to others? are like, are you saying we should never address things? I'm not saying that. I'm saying we can't properly address them until we walk in forgiveness. We are in no shape to address things that offend us when we're walking offended. Because we're not doing it in love. We're not doing it with a heart to help. We're not doing it with with a a constructive mindset. We're doing it to destroy. We have to forgive first. Now, now to give a a picture, 10,000 bags of gold, in the Greek language, there's more description given, and it is equivalent to to uh, it's compared to day's wages okay and the number of days it would take if you worked continually to pay off 10,000 bags of gold is 162,307 years an impossible amount of lifetime's worth of debt is how much the servant owed I don't know what he was like he was wrong when he begged I beg you I'll pay it all back he was wrong he was lying he had no chance in the same manner, neither can we. We have no possible way of repaying the debt of our sin to God. Oh, God, I've been wrong. I'll get it right. We won't. We won't. An impossible debt. The debt that he was owed was equivalent to 100 days of work. Still significant, but not 192,307 years. Still significant. Now, now sometimes I feel like what, what you, you might feel would be, are you minimizing what I've been through? I'm actually not at all. It's significant. It's real. But, but if you were to weigh it, Against the nature of what it is to to be unrighteous before God, it doesn't even compute. You put that in your calculator, and not only would your calculator put an E back at you saying error, it would just start laughing at you. It'd be ha 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 ha. -ha. It's just so infinitely different. And so, why should I extend mercy? Because I've been the recipient of mercy. Why else should I extend mercy? Here's why because I will continue to need to receive mercy. It wasn't a one off deal. I continue to incur debt before the Lord, don't I? I'll continue to need to be forgiven. That's why Jesus says in Luke chapter 6 and 37, speaking of judgment, he says, when you give, it'll be given back to you in a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it'll be poured into your lap. So when you extend judgment, You can anticipate that judgment will be poured back into your lap in a good measure. When you extend cold, awkward pettiness, guess what's coming back to you? In a good measure. Cold, awkward pettiness. When you extend mercy, you actually are entrusting God, saying God's just going to watch this and it's going to come back to my life in a good measure. Can I tell you another Chipotle story real quick? I was in America last week, and I went to Chipotle there as well. I think it's what got me in the mood. I was visiting uh, some friends in Los Angeles, and we went out one night. We grabbed some some Chipotle, and while we were in the line, there was only about two people in line in front of us. And it became very clear very quickly that the the gentleman who was preparing the, the bowl, I, we'll call him an artist, he was um, he was definitely overwhelmed by the immense responsibility that he was under of scooping things, definitely. The lady in front of us had said, hey, can I, can I have a, a chicken chicken bowl? And and he, he took out like six little pieces of chicken and kind of fanned them on there. He said, would you like anything else? She's like, well, I'd kind of like more chicken <laughs> since it wasn't a scoop. And he's like, well, okay. And he put like one more piece. She's like, is it too much to ask that I still have some more chicken? And, and I, the friend I was with, he's like, I'm with her. Give the lady some chicken already. And he goes, I just don't know if I can. I'm not sure if I, I should. And, and, and so then a manager came and like, oh, come on, give her some chicken. And she blessed blessed her with some chicken. I just want to say that if that lady lost her cool right there, that manager wasn't giving her any more chicken. Because you can expect to receive what you give in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. I know. I'm going to keep on needing mercy. I have a long track record, nearly 40 years of requiring mercy of the people closest to me, and, and, and moment by moment requiring it of the Lord. I'm going to c- continually need mercy, so I should continually extend mercy. So when possible, just overlook an offense. When it's impossible, I want to encourage you to forgive. We need to learn to forgive. So who should we forgive? Who are the offenders that we should forgive? Certainly the Bible must speak to a list of the type of offenders that we should forgive. Great thoughts, and it does. Number one, we're going to take these down on notes. Even if you don't usually take notes, I want want to encourage you to write these things down. Number one, we forgive the ignorant offender. We forgive the person who offended us that didn't even know they offended us. Look what it says in Luke chapter uh, 23 and verse 34. These are going to come pretty quick and pretty rapid, So I hope you're taking them down. Luke chapter 23 and verse 34. Jesus is speaking around forgiveness, and uh, he says this. He's on the cross. He's about to be crucified. They're putting nails into his hands, and he just says this, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Like, Like they knew what they were doing, but they didn't know the gravity of what they were doing. They knew, like, I'm just doing the thing I always do. I show up at work, and I'm told to nail nails in hands, and so I do that thing. And Jesus is extending mercy towards them and and giving them a blanket of ignorance. Ah, they don't know what they're doing. I want to encourage you, when possible, forgive the ignorant offender. There are people in your life who had no idea of the the trigger points in your life. They just had no idea. So extend forgiveness to them. It doesn't mean you, you can't address it. In fact, I think you should. It's how you grow closer together. You say, just, I've been in a process. Just so you know, the thing that happened, it really hurt me, and here's why. And you have an opportunity to walk in the light together and have closer fellowship. But we need to forgive the ignorant offender. Before we can approach it, we've got we to learn to forgive. Number two, we need to forgive the repeat, uh, repentant offender. The repentant offender. Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17 in verse 3 says this. So watch yourself. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And then if they repent, forgive them. Yeah. How often once, once uh, uh, apology is given, we are like, yeah, but still. But still though. Still you should have known. Still though. If they hurt you, rebuke them. That means you're allowed to call out. But, but you have to maintain the brother-sister thing. You got to stay in love or else you're just part of the problem. You got to stay. So you, you call out, and then when they repent, you forgive them. Yeah. I, know, I know couples who make it their task to race to the, I'm sorry. When they dispute, they're like, hey, just before we go any further, I just want you to know how sorry I am. I never wanted to bring this, this separation. This, but I wanted to say all my other points. <laughs> Prepared this in the mirror. I was ready to go to three rounds. We need to forgive the repentant offender in our life. Number three, we need to forgive the repeated offender. It starts to get a little real right here. The very next verse in Luke 17, it says this, Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and then seven times they come back saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Wow. uh, Forgiveness is not a one-off courtesy that you extend. It's a lifestyle of freedom that you are invited into. Not forgetting the past, but coming up with a new way of remembering it. To forgive is not to forget the past. It's not to pretend away the past. It's to reframe it and say, I choose to remember this differently now in light of the mercy that I've received. I forgive the ignorant offender. I forgive the repentant offender having to learn to see it differently. I forgive the repeated offender, even when they struggle. Now, now should we be more careful? Yep. Yep. Should we be more conscious? Hey, my, my, my points of, of, like, being triggered just are off the charts when I'm hanging out in this setting. They don't seem to be getting it. Of course. Should that be a a grounds for bitterness? Nope. It'll destroy us and the people around us. Number four, we need to forgive the unrepentant offender as well. That's tough. Because we forgive and we walk in the grace that we see Jesus modeling. So Jesus gives a a bit of a, a game plan he goes, when someone's offended you, this is in Matthew chapter 18, he says, first go to them alone and explain to them how, how they've hurt you. When someone in your life offends you, go to them alone when possible and explain the offense with the heart to be reconciled. With the desire, I want to get back on the same page. I want to be reconciled. Will it look different? Maybe. Yep, maybe. But, but be reconciled. It says, if that doesn't work, because sometimes it doesn't, then it says, come back to them with, with a friend. Bring a friend who loves you and who loves them. Ideally, a mediator who has both of your intentions in mind. Bring them to the table as well and explain it again. Say, hey, that last time we talked, I just feel like it went off the rails. It didn't go the way I wanted it to go. I don't think I explained it well, and, and I want to just try again and just know that there's distance between us, that I don't want to exist. I want to be reconciled. Maybe we're not going to be best buds. That's okay. But I, I don't want to have this cloud over us. So you bring a friend in. Now, for some, depending on, on what you've been through, bring a friend first. If you say, I just don't feel like I can go one-on-one, Awesome. Bring a friend with you first. Go in go in this order though. It says if that doesn't work, include the church. Now now when, when Jesus is speaking, he's speaking to people who align with church. And so they would say that there is some authority in the church. Bring a leader, bring a pastor, and bring someone in and say, We're we're trying. We're just not getting there. If if the offense you have is with a sibling, bring a parent. Bring an older sibling. If it's with a coworker, maybe you need to include a shift manager. Bring somebody with you. Try to find some commonality. How weird it would be if it was someone you work with and you bring your pastor. You know, and they show up in Starbucks and you're like, hey, I just need a break. Hey, we need to talk. I know we've tried and then I brought my next door neighbor and that didn't work. But this is my pastor. And my pastor has something. Like bring someone who is an actual authority in your lives and say, we're just not getting there. Help us. It says, if even that doesn't work, because sometimes it doesn't, it says, then begin to treat them like an outsider. Now, if you're not careful, this is weaponizing. It's like, I did them, I got through those as quick as I can, because what I wanted to do was treat them as an outsider. But what this really does is test the way we treat outsiders. How do we treat outsiders? With tons of grace, because they don't even think the same way we do. They're not part of our culture. They think differently. They act differently. How wild it would be to ask someone else to work on on your point of view. Like, if you're part of my family, this is how we do things. It's not our job to judge someone who's not part of our family. And if we're part of Jesus' family, this is how we handle one another. And if someone goes, I just don't listen to the authority, then you're like, oh, we see things differently. So, so. Once we were not a people, now we are. Once we've not received mercy, now we do. You don't want to do that. Then I love you. And I totally release you. I'm going to be praying for you. And if anything, you're kind of part of why I do the thing I do. I want to see Christ's uh, nature formed in you. I want to, you don't tell them all that because that conversation would go really weird. (laughs) But you just, it's like an internal reset. You go, oh, I see things differently. I thought we were working on one plane. We're just not on that. That's okay then no problem. Then, then being completely unified is not even really the task for us because we're not part of the collective family of God. We're, we're, we see things differently. I hope this is helpful. I know it's practical. I know that, that for some, this is the meal you need to eat right now. And for others, you need to throw this in the freezer and keep the microwave ready because it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's impossible to navigate through life without offense. We're so prone to it that we get offended by people we've never met. We get offended in a second-hand way over things said or done for people we've never met. And how could they? I wonder if we should just really ask the question, how? How? I wonder how. I should learn. I should try to figure that one out. It's impossible to navigate life without offense. When possible, overlook it. When not possible, learn to forgive. Who should you forgive? All of them. Will we require the mercy and grace of God to do this? Absolutely. I have found in my life, this might be one of the ways that God reveals himself most intimately and personally is when I need to figure out how to be like him. Because he's great at forgiving. I struggle at it. There's some things I do really well that maybe in my ignorance I don't even think to include God in. But forgiveness is not something we we come to naturally. We need the help of God in our lives. God, this is an opportunity. I'm becoming more like you. I love what you said in your video, Sam. You talked about uh, that that verse, taking his yoke upon our backs and learning from him. He has learned to navigate offense really well. We get to learn from him. Now as the, as the uh, worship team comes back, I want to invite you, if you would, to stand with me for a moment. And uh, when you stand across the room from front to back, I'm going to invite you right where you are, if you're able, just take a moment and, uh, and close your eyes. I'm not sure why you wouldn't be able if you weren't. Maybe you've you got a balance issue. But you know, apart from that, why don't you just take a moment, close your eyes for a moment. What, what I would hope for is a bit of a, minute, a, a moment of solitude, even though we're in a crowded room a moment of solitude between you and the Lord. And we're actually going to take a moment corporately to pray, even though we're, we're in a moment of solitude. Does that make sense? And the Bible says in the book of Mark, chapter 11, in verse 25, it says, when you stand to pray, now we're all standing and we're about to pray, so this is exactly the context. It says, when you stand to pray, if you become aware of a, an offense Of anything towards anybody, forgive them so that your Father in heaven might also forgive you. When you stand and pray, if you are offended about anything from anybody, forgive them. It's pretty holistic language, anything, anybody. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. I'm going to invite you to make this your prayer. Now, I say this acknowledging that that for some, the anything and the anybody are really personal and are really profound. I'm not trying to minimize or diminish, but I actually just want to make a, a, a pretty big deal about how good the mercy of God is. I actually want to magnify how good the forgiveness of God is. Instead of going back and forth, figuring out how big our offense is, why don't we take a moment and get lost in the mercy of God? He chose you. He's appointed you and anointed you. He's making you holy. He says of you, you're his precious possession. That means he cares about you. He's watching over. He's judging. He will keep track, and he'll use even the pain we walk through to make us more like him. So Jesus, across this room, we invite you to speak to us right now. And if we are aware of anyone or anything that is ongoing offense in our life, I pray that you'd set us free in forgiveness right now. Help us to forgive and to to walk out of this bondage in total freedom. I thank you that we are the recipients of your mercy. I pray right now that you'd help us. For those who feel like, man, I'm in stage one. I just need to lay this before God and then go speak to them in love. Maybe some of you are like, man, I'm on stage two or three or even four. I've been trying and trying and trying. I just can't seem to get there. God, would you give us energy, strength, creativity, strategy? We want to start with obedience and and move forward in the nuance of that interpersonal connection. God, I pray, though it's not always the circumstance, that the people who have offended or hurt us would actually be repentant. I pray that there would be repentance and fruit in keeping with repentance. But even when that's not there, we want to put our trust in you. Help us to walk it out, Jesus. And with eyes closed and heads bowed, if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I want you to know he's ready to forgive your debt, the debt of sin. The Bible says not one of us is righteous. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, but he extends mercy and forgiveness to anyone who would ask him for help. So if that's you today, with no one else looking around, eyes are closed, heads are bowed, you say, I want to be right before God. I want to walk in forgiveness before God. Would you just raise your hand where you are? I want to pray with you. Yeah, I want to pray with you. Who else? He says, me. Yep, yep, yep. Awesome. Awesome. Right from where we are, you can pray a prayer like this. Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I, I receive all the mercy and grace that you have for me. I trust that your grace is bigger than my flaw and my sin. And today I receive your love. In your name we pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you prayed to pray like that or you need any ongoing support in prayer, come talk to us before you leave today. There'll be people at the Connect table. Some of our pastors will linger here to the side if you need any prayer one-on-one. Our team's going to lead us in this song together. And a reminder, God's watching. He's using it. He's judging. We never walk alone. Come on, let's sing this together as we go. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.